welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Wow, good morning. Wow, I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> I feel tired just hearing that story. You know. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? You may be seated. God bless. And uh, thanks. Why don't we thank the band this morning? Come on, give it up for the worship, guys. It's wonderful. I love the worship this morning. That was great. Who loves coming on a Sunday morning, worshiping God? Awesome. Fantastic. Hey, it's great. Thank you for inviting us. It's been a long time uh, since we preached in, in this wonderful congregation, and so we were thrilled when we got invited. And so we're like, "Yes, let's go and see." Even just to hang out with uh, Chris and Ruth, our, our, our dear friends of many, many—not not even years, decades. <clears throat> who thinks? Who thinks none of us look old enough? Three of you, okay. <laughs> I, you have three solid members in the church. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it's early, early days, and it's amazing to do life with people. I mean, Ruth was just saying as we were chatting before the service, like when you go around to the churches, it's like it must be great because it's really about connecting with old friends, and it is. I mean, we have almost 500 churches now, which is great, and we don't get to all of them, but we certainly get to a lot of them, and in every case, it's, it's not sure we've got a global movement, but we call it more of a global family. Uh, and everywhere we go, we're, we're meeting people uh, and seeing people that are like family. But even new people, it's like, it's like it's, they instantly become part of that sense of family connection, which is great. Who knows, it's a kingdom of God is really a universal family, right? And that's the deal. And yeah, I just got back from Dubai just a, few, a couple of days ago. If I start wandering to the left it's, or to the right, it's just, it's just a little bit of jet lag. Or, or I like to call it let jag. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we had a great time there. We're starting, um, part of our job in our role of, of global growth is not just starting churches and, and, and planting that and helping the regional directors do that, but it's also starting new regions. Uh, so we're launching, we had our very first conference, the United Arab Emirates, and it's becoming like a hub to the Middle East. And we've got churches in Syria and Baghdad and Iraq and uh, and so we've actually got churches in Dubai. So God's on the move all around the world. It's exciting, isn't it? And guess what? You guys are a part of that. It's not just us doing that. We're doing that together. You may not get to these crazy places, but uh, as a movement, you, you're, you're having influence there because of just being part of a great church here and, and believing for that vision. So who knows that the ch- local church is the answer to the world? <clears throat> God no, has no plan B. He's only got plan A, and, and you are in one of those plan A's, which is, which is awesome. So, and uh, obviously we, uh, Chris and Ruth, and college and early days, uh, Ruth was one of our first regional leaders overseeing a whole bunch of uh, house churches, we called them back then, or connect groups back in the North, she oversaw the North Shore region uh, for us, which is incredible, back in the early 80s and of course, your pastors have been to Russia, and they came and visited us on their way home from Russia and stayed with us in New York, uh, and uh, connected there is awesome. So God's good, isn't he? And uh, great to see your smiling faces. Many of you don't know, but I've seen some, uh, some old friends, uh, and uh, so it's uh, great to see you again, if, uh, if I know you from way back. My friend's here. It's, I remember you guys with his Doctor Who t-shirt on. <laughs> that's, that's great. So I... Um, and uh, yeah, we've got three kids, all married, <clears throat> and our son, uh, and two of our kids live in New York. So obviously something went in them in those, in those New York days. So as soon as they could, they escaped us uh, and went off to New York. So we've got three grandsons in New York and three granddaughters in Sydney. So, you know, even balance, you know, like, and, uh, and like, uh, like Chris said, we, uh, uh, we've uh, got our, our eldest boy, our eldest child, who's a son, Josh, runs C3 Brooklyn. He's in the in the hipster center of the world, reaching all the all the young hipsters in in, uh, in Brooklyn. Being to his church is awesome. They've got three locations already, and uh, and just about to start their fourth location in in New York, and uh, just having a revival there, which is which is wonderful. Who, think, who thinks New York needs to be reached? 
Who thinks the Central Coast needs to be reached? More importantly, I reckon it's time for a revival on the Central Coast. What do you reckon? Come on, give Jesus a hand. That's great. All right, anybody get ready to get into the Word of God? So my mouth is still working. I'm I'm still thawing out. It was like six degrees driving up here this morning. So I did have heating in the car, which is great. Hey, um, I want to share a a message with you. It's a simple message. And uh, I've I've entitled this message, The Gospel. Who's ever heard that word before? Yeah, someone came up with that. I'm not sure, but I I I think I'm just preaching on the gospel this morning. It's interesting, many, people, uh, many believers think the gospel is for people who don't yet know Christ, but I believe the gospel is just as important for the church as it is for, the, for those who don't know the Lord. But, and, and not only that, it's, it's for us to know the gospel, and because if we know the gospel, then we're able to live that gospel and share that gospel, which is, which is important. So I want you to turn the, this morning to your Bible, in your Bibles. I've been, I'm doing weightlifting, I just could pick that that table up there. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Just going to read a couple of verses here. And uh, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh, God forbid that you'd eat with a sinner. Uh, I love, I'll stop there for a second. I love the fact that it says tax collectors and sinners uh, drew near to God, drew near to Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus attracted people who needed God. Uh, and I believe as believers, we need to be attractive to people who are far off from God. Uh, and I think it's fascinating that it says tax gatherers and sinners, that it separates those two. Because uh, tax, tax gatherers were a special group back then but I, here's the thing i think every generation has their own form of tax gatherers that has their own group that that, that that the church typically rejects a particular type of sinner that is most not welcome uh and, and we have them now and i'm not going to start labeling groups but i i think that if the, the sign of a great church the sign of, of great believers are the ones that attract the ones who who are most not welcome in religious circles and it's interesting that the religious people, the ones that are grumbling, we need to be the most non-grumbling people on the, on the earth. We need to be, like Chris was saying, the happiest, gen- most generous, most attractive people, not necessarily physically, but, but, but in God, the most attractive people on the face of the earth. Who believes that, anyone? Because Jesus was. He just attracted people. People liked being around Jesus. Uh, and and he, was, he was fun to be around, which is, which you can tell, because even in the scriptures and in the, in the gospels, it says that, that kids loved being around Jesus. And any, any person that kids like being around, you know, is a lot of fun. Because kids have a fake sniffer. They have the best fake sniffer there is, you know. But when someone's genuine and life-filled and fun-filled, kids go, I want to be around that, you know. It's interesting the disciples are the ones that are telling the kids to get lost. But Jesus says, no, let them in. Let them in. I can imagine this picture of all these kids hanging off Jesus. And Come on, who has that picture of Jesus? That's great. Okay, but I will continue. And, and it says, so he told them this parable. So Jesus heard, their, heard the religious grumbling. And he goes, I've got to help these guys out a little bit. So he told them this parable. And this parable is a famous parable of lost things. And, and, and it's not three parables. It's one parable in three parts. And, it, and Jesus talks about the lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And we're going to go through this quickly today. And it says in verse 3 or verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And I, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I love the fact that heaven is a, is a joyful place. And, and, and right now there's joy in heaven. We, we, we are not part of a church or part of a, a Christian organization that is not joy-filled. Joy, joy is one of the earmarks of, of the Christian life. Heaven is a happy place. 
the church should be the happiest place on earth. Not Disneyland, but, but, but church. Now, Disneyland's great too, but, 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 heaven, but church should be the happiest place on earth. In your heart, the kingdom of God lives. And, and our, our joy is, is part of that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the, and the joy is the attractive thing. But when people come to a knowledge of God, heaven has a party. And it's like, and it's like I reckon there must be like a party director up in heaven. And it's like, there's another one, which is, by the way, a lot, because I think there's something like, uh, I, I have recently read the figures, but I've forgotten, something like 80,000 people an hour coming to Christ uh, around the world. So that's, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of parties going on. And, there's a, and the, the event director in heaven is kept pretty busy as the party continues. But, but it's interesting. Here we see this first part of the parable of a, of, of a lost sheep and the shepherd going to find that lost sheep. And I believe that this particular parable is about Jesus himself, that he was that shepherd, that he was the, he's the ultimate shepherd that left the security of heaven, left the throne of heaven itself and came to earth to find people. And, and, and it's, I love the fact that it says one sheep, which is a great thing because if you were the only lost person on earth, Jesus would have come for you. Jesus doesn't see just the multitudes. He sees the individuals. He sees your life, Frosty. Who believes that God loves Frosty? <laughs> you do? Oh, that's right. And, and, and if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have come for you. And it's not like, oh, I'm just here as one of the lost masses of humanity. No, he goes, I love Chris. I love Ruth. I love Bernie. I love Frosty. And he came for that. Jesus came out of heaven and not only visited heaven as, sorry, visited people on earth, he visited, and not just as God, he became human. I mean, if we think about that. I mean, my goodness, what he became in order to reach us. Talk about a level of identification. He so identified that he got into a human body and and suffered as we suffer as humans and knows exactly the temptations and the feelings of humanity. But it's interesting that my experience in these many decades of pastoring is that many Christians don't know what Jesus did for him. What did Jesus accomplish when he came on earth? Did he just come and just wander around and teach a few good morals and, and then disappear to heaven? No, he, he did a whole bunch of things uh, that has secured our salvation. Here's the deal. Jesus has done it all. There is not one thing that Jesus hasn't done. Therefore, there is not one thing that we can do. If we fully understood the power of grace, that, that there is nothing we can do to secure salvation other than believe. Uh, and if we only knew what Jesus has accomplished for us, my goodness, I think we'd be, uh, we'd be running around this building like it's time for a party. So what did, it, what did Jesus do? Well, we're going to talk about that. Now, this normally takes me about eight hours to teach. I'm going to teach it in 15 minutes. Who's ready to listen quickly? Anybody? Okay, let's, we're going to go to the screens right now. The first thing that Jesus did, the guy's going to throw that, is the cross. Everybody say The cross. The cross, I mean, the, the, and on the cross we discover the suffering Christ. And what are we? What are we secured in the cross? We're secured a powerful thing: forgiveness. And, and you may not know you need forgiveness, but I'm telling you, we all need forgiveness. And in the cross, we now have individual, immediate, direct access to God Himself. The va- that veil that is talked about in that song we talked that we sung earlier today. That veil in the temple that separated us from God. When Jesus died on that cross, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And it's basically God going, hey, come on in. You have now free, unlimited access to my love, my grace, my presence. And in that total freedom and forgiveness. That's great news. Well, I used to be involved in uh, psychology and social work. That was my profession many, many decades ago. And one thing I discovered in working with people is the greatest enemy of the human soul is guilt and shame. And there are many things that can help that guilt and shame, but the ultimate answer, in fact, the only real answer to guilt and shame of humanity is forgiveness. And it's, and it's the, the forgiveness of heaven comes and washes us so that the deepest parts of our human soul are set free. It is the most powerful thing. That's great news, isn't it? 
And the cross, of course, is vertical and horizontal. The vertical aspect of the cross, it's, it's God forgiving us. That divinity has said, you are now free of all your sin and there's nothing you can do to earn it. I just give it to you as a free gift from God. But the cross is also horizontal. So not only in the cross do we get forgiven, the cross also allows, gives us the power to, to forgive other people. Now that is just as powerful. That not only are you forgiven, but you are now empowered to forgive other people. Which, by the way, unforgiveness in human relationships is the number one cause of the breakdown of those relationships. Marriages, parents, children, business partnerships. The very thing that we need is, the, is not just the power to be forgiven, but the power to forgive. And uh, T.D. Jakes, one of the great preachers of our world today, uh, has did a message on forgiveness. And he, he, th- he says that forgiveness is like, is like a a closed system as you breathe in forgiveness from God you breathe out forgiveness to others and if you break the cycle by failing to forgive others you're unable to receive forgiveness from God so you breathe in breathe out and he says as often as you breathe you should be forgiving how crazy is that and I believe that's probably pretty true and even as people are coming to you and they're causing you offense before you even that offense lands in your heart, forgive them and release that because we stay free. Who would like to be a permanently free person? Forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is the center of the gospel because the cross is the center of the gospel. Jesus took the offenses of humanity on his, on his body and as he, is, as he was dying for the, our offenses towards God, he was actually forgiving the very people that were doing it to him at that point. He was li- literally living out the reality of what he was gaining for us on the cross. Oh, my goodness. God is good, isn't he? Come on, give the Lord a hand. That's great news. Forgiveness. But wait, there's more beyond the cross. Many Christians stop here and go, that's great. I'm forgiven. (laughs) That's awesome. But there's more. Beyond the cross is the burial. And we see the victorious Christ. Many Christians don't even know where Jesus went. Where did he go for three days? Oh, he went to sleep and just hung out and had a bit of a rest. No, he went to work. Jesus went to hell. And he didn't go to hell as being judged. He went to hell to gain our victory. In fact, the New Testament says that he went and preached to the demons. And it wasn't a message of salvation. It was a message of defeat. He basically said, devil, you are defeated because he, he was unjustifiably killed. And, and because he was sinless, he then had the right to, get, to gain back the keys of hell and death. And in, in the burial, in, in the cross we get forgiveness, but in the burial we discover victory. Victory over what? Victory over the enemies of the human soul. Anxiety, depression, fear, the things that plague the human soul. Jesus won the victory over those things in the burial. But that, that's great news. So what, do you, what is what is coming against you today? What fears and anxieties? By the way, we all get them. I do, every day. Every, but but I, I, in the cross and the burial, I discover that I can overcome those things because Jesus has won my victory. Can I be rid of those things forever? No, those, that will come eventually in the great hope that is coming. But I can learn to overcome these things as I discover the, the victory that Christ won from the burial. But wait, there's more. What's beyond the burial? Where did he come? The third one, he, he rose from the dead. He came out of that grave and rose from the dead. I love it. He, and it's, it, we see the risen Christ. And in the resurrection, we follow and worship not just a, a, a God that died on the cross, but we worship a risen Christ. One that, so not only do we have, watch this, freedom from the past, but we have now a new life given to us. It's not just what we're forgiven from, it's what we're born again into. It is a new life, new hope, new purpose, new vision, maybe a new marriage within the one you've already got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I just had to qualify that a little bit. Some of your husbands are going, amen, amen. <laughs> but maybe, maybe, maybe new hope, maybe new purpose. Maybe you're feeling hopeless and purposeless, but in the resurrection, here's, the, here's what the scripture says, that, that the same power 
that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. See, these things aren't just historical realities. They are present spiritual power within your life. Not only do we remember the cross, you live in the cross. Not only do we remember the resurrection, many Christians celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Even more than that, Romans 6 says that you were on the cross when Jesus died. So your old life died with him. And we were raised in Romans 6 with him. This is exciting. Who thinks this is good theology, anyone? Most Christians don't know good theology. Because we're remembering an historical fact instead of living in the current reality of what Christ has already done for our lives. You stay in Christ, you'll stay in victory, which is awesome. So we have resurrection in us. We need resurrection. You need new life. When do we need it? Today. When do you need it again? Tomorrow. Because life is trying to oppress. Life is trying to bury you. But Christ is going, no, no. Even in your worst day, the spirit of resurrection lives on the inside of you. There's always new hope. There's always new life. There's always new purpose. There's always a fresh season that God has for you. God is good. But wait, there's more. More than the resurrection? Yes, the next one. The ascension. Ascension, the heavenly Christ. Okay, what happened to Jesus after he rose from the dead? He could have just disappeared and gone straight to heaven and... And, and been accomplished great things. But no, he decided to wander the earth for 40 days. I love reading this in the Gospels. He, he'd appeared and he scared the disciples on a regular basis. <laughs> when they weren't expecting it, they were hiding in a room, freaking out, going, he's God, he's God, he's God. And he just appears. He goes, Woo, hey guys. And he was so normal. Like even they saw him, they were fishing one time, and they saw him on the shore. And, and John had to remind G- Peter who it was, it's the Lord. And what was Jesus doing? Was he there having a, a church service on the side of the lake? No, he was having a barbecue. He was cooking fish, not for himself, but for the disciples. What a great God we have. Anyway, he walked around for 40 days. You know, Thomas doubted, you know, and eventually he appeared to Thomas as well. But he did, had an amazing time. And after that 40 days, Jesus was with them once because they still didn't really understand the gospel. They didn't get it. They thought that Jesus' return meant the political deliverance of Israel. In fact, they asked him that point. You read in Acts chapter 1. He says, Jesus, is it at this time you're going to restore Israel to its former glory? Jesus basically looked at them going, oh, no. We're in trouble. <laughs> they still don't get it. He said, look, just go and wait in Jerusalem and a power is going to come upon you and it's going to help you become my witnesses. But you'll figure that out eventually. And it says, while he was saying that, he disappeared in front of them. He just ascended into the heavens, right in front of them. They watched him float into the sky. Who would have been like to, to be there that day? And they says they watched him and he went through the clouds. Then two angels appeared. This is like a great Hollywood movie. Better than a movie. Two angels appeared on either side of them. Now, I have this little theory that both those angels were from New York. Here's why. Read the text of what, what they said to them. The two angels, as soon as they saw the disciples watched the Jesus ascend, the two angels go, what are you looking at? <laughs> What are you looking at? <laughs> Come on, who believes my theory, anyone? I got two. I got two witnesses. That's great. I got three. And so, so they, basically they were saying to the disciples, get on with it. Like, like he's gone. He's coming back. We don't know when. He's coming back. But in the meantime, Jesus, it's, it's like I tag you. They're basically like, your turn. You've got it all. Now go and, know and spread the gospel out there. So he ascended to heaven. But where did Jesus go? It says that Jesus... Can I grab that stool? Frosty, thanks, man. It said Jesus went and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now when someone sits down, what are they doing? They're saying, I'm done. I finished. When Jesus sat down, he's going, the work's done. That's, that's been a big three years. <laughs> I deserve a rest. And he sat down the right hand on the throat of God. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Father placed all things under his feet. 
all power, all authority, all dominion, everything is now placed under the feet of Jesus. Who thinks that's great news? So he earned that and he, and he was given all authority. There is nothing that was not made subject to the Son of God under Jesus' feet, which is awesome. But even better news, that's Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 says, we too are seated with Christ in heavenly place. Not only were we on the cross and the resurrection, we are now seated with Christ in heavenly place. What does that mean? That means that we too have been given authority. That's what God has given us authority, which is amazing. Many years ago, 1983, I was at the very first year of C3 College. Great college if you want to go. Okay. Many of you have. And, And so... I was praying, 1983 was a, a, a challenging year with two little kids, no money, I was doing college, wasn't much money, and I remember driving home from college one day, no, I was, I was actually praying in our house, in where we lived, our rented house in Newport, and the back of uh, this little rented house was a, a spare room, little room that I used to pray in, it had a bench in it. And I was praying one day, and I was praying a very uninspiring, faithless prayer. It was a whinging, whining prayer. Who's ever prayed those prayers? Like when you were going through a tough time, and, you, and, you're, like, and you're like, God, God, help me. They're like, oh, God, I need some money. I wonder. It, just, it was just useless praying. And I felt the Holy Spirit go, what are you doing? And, and I responded immediately with, with you know, a good response. I'm praying. And I felt the Holy Ghost goes, well, it doesn't sound much like it up here. And I felt inspired to get up on this bench. So I did. So I stood up on this bench. <laughs> Who has confidence in my balance? Uh, my <laughs> and even with jet lag, thank you, Joe. Uh, and so I got up on this bench and immediately the scripture came. I'm glad I got this stool because like <laughs> anything higher. And I, I've never felt so tall in my life. <laughs> I get up on this bench and immediately the scripture came to me in Ephesians 2. says, you too are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now pray from that perspective. Pray from above your problems. Pray from a position of authority. Suddenly this confidence and this authority and this boldness came upon me. And I began to, instead of praying about my problems, begin to speak to my problems. And I begin to declare, God, I thank you. I declare breakthrough over my finances. I declare breakthrough over my heart. I begin to speak and declare that. Because here's the deal. Most of us as believers are praying about stuff instead of, pray, instead of speaking to things. Jesus never prayed for the sick. Not once, ever. He healed the sick. You never once see in the scriptures where a sick person comes to Jesus and he goes, Father, heal them. He just goes, be healed. Even Jesus himself said to us, uh, to the disciples, he said, speak to the mountains. And so if we only understood how much authority we have in Christ, and what is it you need to speak to? Begin to declare and speak because, I'm telling you, in the ascension, God has given you authority. If the believers only knew what authority we had, we can begin to shift atmospheres and change things in our world, which is an amazing thing. But wait, there's more. Beyond the ascension is the dissension. The Father and the Son colluded, collaborated. The first collab. They got together and they said, we need to send one of us, one of the Trinity, that we cannot leave them alone. And they sent the Holy Spirit. And that great famous day in Acts chapter 2, and the disciples were waiting in the upper room. And they got filled the Holy Spirit. That would have been another great day to be there. And 120 disciples were seeking God for 10 days. And at the end of that 10 days, it says the room was filled with a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire appeared to them. And all the disciples were filled with the power of God and began to speak in other languages. And the church was birthed. And it wasn't church, it wasn't birthed in a committee meeting, it was birthed in a power meeting. And it was that in that powerful moment. Lives were transformed, and, and those lives, as they were transformed, began to declare the gospel boldly. And 3,000 people came to Christ that very first day. We need the power of God, don't we? You need the power to get up this morning. You need the power of God. I need the power of God. I can't do this Christian life without power. If I try to live this Christian life in my own strength, then, then I'm not going to make it. But I daily need to be filled with that Holy Spirit 
Not just word, but spirit. We need both. We need, the, we need the word of God, which is a changing of mind. But we need the spirit of God, which is a filling of my spirit. And we need both to live this Christian life in God, which is awesome. How much God has given us. It's amazing. It's interesting that the, the next uh, part of the parable is the parable of, of the uh, lost coin. And so here we, there's a lost sheep and there's a lost coin. And as we begin to look at it, I realized that the coin, where was the coin lost? The coin was lost in the house. And it's interesting that, that people get lost in, God, lost in the field and get saved, but then they come to church and often can get lost in church. And, and, and I believe that many people, as much as people are lost in the world, many people are sitting in church and lost. And God wants to find people in church. Because one of the things that what God doesn't want is an inactive church. He wants an activated, engaged church. And, and not, we're not attenders or, or watchers. We are participators in the things of God. And so I, I was starting to think about that, going, well, how come, who are the people lost in church? And I came up with four categories. There may be more. Number one, the people just sitting there attending. They've actually never known Christ. They've just, because of tradition, because of history, because of whatever, they've just oh, their whole life attended church. Well, maybe God wants to find them. Who believes they're good people to find? And there are probably people sitting in church who, who, who don't know Christ, but who really need to come to Christ. Second one is the people sitting there, and they've been in church longer than Methuselah. They've been in church for decades, and when they first came to church and met Christ, they were the first to volunteer, the first to jump on board. But after a while, their heart is disengaged, and they've just gotten bored, and they're just used to it. And now they're watching the new generation take on, and they're just sitting there going, well, I'm not needed anymore. I'm telling you, everyone is needed. Everyone can be part. doesn't matter how long you've been around. Every gift needs to be activated. The third group of people is that maybe... Are people sitting in church offended, and they've lost heart, and maybe the pastor or the a leader or a church member or even God Himself or the institution of the church has offended people. And look, we all get offended. We all get we all get the opportunity to be offended. But I'm telling you, we need to overcome our offense. And maybe God wants to heal your heart today, so that because you can't serve God with an offended heart. And so God maybe wants to heal your heart and reconnect you with the purpose of God. And the last group is young people. Maybe your parents brought you to church and, and you just came. And thank God for parents who bring their kids to church, right? But, but God wants to know you directly. God has no grandchildren. There's no such thing as a second generation believer. There's, there's only direct believers. God wants to know you personally. Maybe you're a young person here and you need to find Christ personally, not through your parents. Your parents have been your motivation, but God wants to know you directly. And all of our kids have met Christ. But I remember them all going through that journey of discovering Christ for themselves. I remember Josh, as a, who's now 35 and running his own church. I remember when he was four years of age. And Bernie and I, I was driving home Sunday night after church once. It was just, just Josh and I in the church. In the church. In the, <laughs> no, there were more people than that in the church. <laughs> we were the faithful too. No. Uh, Josh and I were in the car driving home together from church. And halfway home, Josh goes, you're four. Four years of age. Dad, I think I need to receive Jesus into my heart. I'm like, did you just say that? And I thought, well, okay. So I pulled the car over, turned the engine off, because never underestimate even the simple faith of a child. And, and so I turned the car off, and, and I prayed a prayer with him to, and led him to Christ. Sinner's prayer. And boy, he had accumulated some serious sins by the... <laughs> if you've got a four-year-old, you know what I mean. And, uh, so be, and we'd spend an hour repenting, and... Uh, well, he spent an hour repenting. No, it just led him to Christ. And he began to cry. And I began to cry. And something significant took place because it's not faith indirect. It's direct faith. And sure, he came into another sense of connection with Christ when he was maybe 11 or 12. And then again, when he was 15 and 16, there are there stages of connection with the next generation. But each one of them is significant and it's okay. And each child and each teenager has their own journey. But we need to see our next generation, young people on fire for God and directly connected to God. Who believes that? Anyone? 
Because, you know, when this woman was finding this lost coin, what does it mean? Well, back in Jewish days, a woman, when she was a teenager and preparing for her eventual marriage, she would collect 10 coins. And she would, as she was growing, would sew those 10 coins onto a headpiece. And when she got married, on her day of her wedding, she would wear that headpiece with the 10 coins around it. And that was the only thing she brought to the wedding. The groom brought everything else. It's a beautiful picture of the church. The only thing we bring to the covenant with Christ is our gifts and talents. Jesus brings everything else. And, and so each one of those coins represents a talent, a heart, a person. And one dropped off. And, and, and every life counts. God doesn't want people disactivated, disengaged from the covenant of God. Imagine if the whole church was engaged and alive. We, our cities will be one for Christ, I reckon, in about two years. Because it is, it is not just a lost world, but a disengaged church that's also part of the issue. And God, your life counts, your calling counts, your, your ministry counts, your, 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 what, what your talent counts. And the, the, the purpose of God on the earth needs you. The purpose, and, it, and it doesn't just need you believing, it needs you engaged in the purpose of God. And it's interesting, what did the woman do? She did three things. She lit a lamp, she swept the floor, and she searched until. And the lighting a lamp is like the Word of God coming alive in the house of God. When the church comes alive to the Word of God, we see people. Suddenly we see people, because there could be a lost person sitting right next to you today not lost in christ but maybe lost in the house she she swept the floor i I, when i first studied this i'm thinking how hard can it be find a coin on the floor drop a coin there it is you know maybe under the couch but as i studied it i found out that the floors back then were covered in about 20 centimeters of straw to keep them dry so when she's when she lost that coin it fell in much straw. She couldn't see this thing. She swept the floor. And I believe as we sweep the floor, the straw in the New Testament represents wood, hay, and straw. It represents the dead works of man. It represents dead religious activity. As we empty our churches of religious activity, we get down to the basics again. We get back to the basics of, of loving God, worshiping God, and preaching the gospel and good works in our community. Suddenly, gifts start to appear. We begin to see the talents and, the, and people are putting Putting their hand up, going, I want to help in that regard because the purpose of God is clear and strong and awesome, which is fantastic. You know, it's it's interesting that the, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the descension, or the suffering Christ, the victorious Christ, plus the risen Christ, plus the heavenly Christ, plus the empowering Christ, if you put up the next screen, is the body of Christ. It's it's all five. It isn't just one. Many Christians are living at the cross, but we need all five in order to be alive, in order to be effective in the community. We need to know our forgiveness, victory, new life, authority, and power so that the kingdom of God can come into our community, which is, which is awesome. You know, the, the last part of this parable, which I'll finish on now, is the parable of the lost son. Anybody like reading that story, the prodigal son? It's a powerful thing. In the scriptures, it's not called the prodigal son. We've called it that because of the, uh, uh, the, the way Bibles have titled that passage. Tim Keller believes we shouldn't call it the prodigal son, but the prodigal God. Because the pro- word prodigal means wasteful and extravagant. And it's like the father, God is, is wastefully extravagant with us. Even when we don't deserve it, he is, he is extravagant with us, which is, which is awesome. And it's, but really, it's a story of two sons. The, the lost son, the youngest son, who goes out, and you know the story, goes out, spends all his inheritance, eventually comes to his senses and makes his way back to the house of God, to, to his father's house, which is awesome. I love that picture. And I love the, the part in the scriptures where it says, when the father saw him from a long way off, he ran out and embraced the son. God, God's looking at people from a long way off. He's He's watching. He is anticipating and has anticipated your return. God is not ambivalent about your return. God the Father is like, where are they? He's so keen. All of heaven is like leaning over heaven's balcony, (laughs) waiting for you to return. There's nothing but grace and acceptance in God the Father. We, We serve a great God, don't we? Come on, give him a hand for that. That's awesome. So it's like... 
He's not, he's not like, oh, oh, they're eternal, oh, well, whatever. You know, no, he's like, yes. And of course, you know the response? Another party. There it is again. Kill the fatted calf. Bring out the minstrels and let's have a time. Here's the deal though. What happened? The older brother. The older brother, where is he? He should have been hanging over the balcony's edge as well. But he wasn't. He was deep in work somewhere and came back out and goes, what's that noise? He'd forgotten what the sound of a party is. He called it a noise. What's that noise? And the father explained to him and the older son got really angry. Like, how dare you? And I've been with you. And really the older brother represents the church. The older brother represents the church that is, that is ambivalent and doesn't care about the lost. But, but we need to be just as engaged as the father. In fact, it's interesting, in the other two stories, somebody went out to find the lost thing. But in the case of this one, no one went out to find the lost thing because it was the older brother's job to go and find the younger brother. Because it's the father's job to receive, but it's the church's job to rescue. And, and God want, God, it, is, it is our job because in a moment's time, we're going to be finishing this service. And, and, and really, the deal is that this is only one service. This is the shorter service of the week. The, the next service lasts for six days and 23 hours. And, and in this service, these are the pastors. Out there, you are the ministers. And really, church isn't just the thing that happens. Church is an accumulation, a gathering of God's community to celebrate all that's going on. So we'll just throw up the next screen as I finish on this. It is the ascension. If we have the ascension, the descension, the only response, the only consequence is the extension of the church. If we truly knew God's power and God's authority and what God has done for us and lived in that, the only consequence is the extension of the church out into the community so that, so that the house of God becomes a life-giving force and people by their hundreds will begin to gather and hear the sound of a party that God is, that God is creating. Time for a party, Central Coast. Time for a party again. It's time for that. But it, it begins with us knowing what Christ has done for us. It begins with us knowing, yes, I'm accepted. Yes, I have that forgiveness. Yes, I have that victory. Yes, I have that new life. Yes, I have that authority. Yes, I have that power. That's pretty good memory, wasn't it? I didn't even look at the screens. Uh, yes, I have that. I have that. But the, what's the consequence of that is like, I have, can't help myself. I've got to share it with someone. Because you've got that. And not only that, you'll be attractive. People will see you and go, what is different about you? You're normal. You're relaxed. You're fun giving, fun living, but you've got something about you. People, people I believe that the, the witness, it, we, we also mostly shouldn't be saying anything. We don't have to because people are probably asking us, what is the deal? What is the difference? What is, what's going on here? I remember years ago when we first returned uh, from New York, our, our two daughters were in soccer um, uh, teams and our coach, their coach was this, Awesome guy called Larry. And uh, we started connecting with him on the soccer field and on the sideline. And I'd share a joke or two. And it was, they were good jokes, you know. And he'd share one back. It wasn't quite as good. But anyway, but we really started to connect and bond. And after about two or three months, he came up to me and said, Mark, I hear you're a pastor. I go, yeah, I am. He says, you don't look like a pastor. I go, thank you. Uh, <laughs> And that was the end of the conversation. I didn't take it any further. I didn't sort of, you know, say, you know, let me pray for you and, you know, get slain in the spirit on the soccer field. I just said, that's, that's awesome. And about maybe a month later, I was driving home from Sunday morning church and I, and I felt a sense to just call Larry. So I called him and I said, Larry, we've got church tonight. I'd love you to be my guest at church tonight. And he says, oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. So I said, come on, I'll meet you at church at 10 to 6. And he arrived and, and then the band had already started and he walked in. And he'd never been to church in his life. And he's well into his 40s. Never been to church in his life. Walked in. I don't know what he expected, but what he saw was not, certainly not what he expected. And he walked in and he just goes, wow, this is like a rock and roll concert. And I said, Larry, 
front row with me. He goes, wow, front stalls. Uh, <laughs> stands in the front row. I'm, through the whole service, I'm explaining church to him. I said, you know, this is praise and worship, and people put their hands up. He just goes, wow, this is awesome. Just get the hands raised. And at the end of the service, Pastor Phil was praying for people, and a few people, a couple of people just sort of fell over. And the, feeling the presence of God says, I said, Larry, it's sort of a weird part of the service. Sometimes people fall over and he goes, no, it's not weird. Wow, it's awesome. You know. <laughs> At the end of the service, there was an altar call for, for, for people to come to a, a direct faith and connection with Christ. And, and I knew he wasn't quite ready, and so I didn't put any pressure on him, didn't say a thing. And so he didn't come to Christ that week. And he came back five Sunday nights in a row. And on the fifth Sunday night, as he walked into the service, before the service, I said, Larry, tonight's your night. And he goes, wow. <laughs> just, and I didn't even know why I said it. I just felt like to say that. Anyway, at the end of the service, there was another chance to receive Christ. And, and, uh, and I said, Larry, come on. What do you reckon? Your heart's ready. He goes, I oh, know, I'm ready, but I'm too afraid. I don't walk up the front by myself. I said, I'll walk with you. He goes, okay. We were standing on the front row, so we just went like that. <laughs> I said, it's not far, it's just there. All the way, one meter, you know. Like, ah. So he received Christ and his heart was soft and he just, it just a beautiful sense of God's presence touched him. The next Sunday, he brought nine of the soccer team to church. I think six of them met Christ, which, which also goes, because he said, God, God wants to extend his love out into the community. There are thousands of people living around this great church. And, and, and God, God's basically going, I've done it all. Tag, your turn. <laughs> but it's not, God's not going to sovereignly. He moves sovereignly, but it's not like he's going to pluck people up with a great kingdom claw and just and dump them down the church. No, he does that through us. You are God's kingdom claw. You are. Do you say claw? No, claw. Who remembers? Yeah, okay. okay. So, <laughs> yeah, not claw, claw. Okay, okay, okay. Moving right along. So God, God's power, God's glory, God's presence is on us. Why don't we stand as we, as we finish right now? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Why don't the band come up? Let's go hand it back to Pastor Chris and just to... A minute's time, but just before I do that, why don't we? Uh, why don't we just close your eyes? It's, it, I, now I don't know many of you, and I think it'd be a great opportunity just to to present to you this great opportunity to receive Christ. If you're here today, and maybe you're one of a category of three different people, three different categories of people. Number one, maybe you've never met Christ. Maybe you've never made that personal direct decision to go, I want to receive Jesus into my life. I want that gospel you're talking about. I want to receive that grace and forgiveness for the first time. Maybe you're the second type of person who once followed Christ and once lived in that grace, once had a heart that was open for God, but for whatever reason, you're like the prodigal and you walked away from the house or walked away from God. Maybe not physically, but maybe in your heart. And this morning, you're like, I want to come back. Well, God's, God's the Father's faith and, and grace towards you is nothing but open and his arms are open to receive you again. Or maybe you're the third type of person who goes, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I have the absolute assurance of total forgiveness and the assurance of an eternity with Christ. Well, this morning, the power of his spirit can give you that assurance. So if you're here today, and why don't we just close our eyes? This morning, if you're here today and you don't know Christ or you want to come back to Christ or you want to be sure you have Christ, why don't you just be bold and just slip your hand up right now and say, Mark, that's me. Thanks, man. That's awesome, buddy. Who else is there? One young gentleman has done that. If there's anyone else, just slip your hand up and say, Mark, that's me. I want, I want Christ. I want to come back to Christ. I want to be sure I have that, that I'm living in that place in God. If, if that's you, who's that second person right now? Say, that's me. I want, I want what you're talking about this morning. Father, I thank you. Thank you. I just want to leave it another 20, 30 seconds. I know 
our, our human souls take it sometimes a little time to respond to this, such a big question. But only you know. It's your own internal dialogue with God. If, if you don't know Christ, for sure, for real, or you want to come back to Christ, or you want to be sure you have that, why don't you just slip your hand up right now? Thank you, Jesus. Young people, older person, middle-aged person, that's you. Don't be afraid. God's with you. Amen. Well, we're going to pray a prayer, just a simple prayer, receiving Christ. And that gentleman who raised his hand, we're going to pray it with you. And if you can be the loudest in the room, that would be, be awesome. So why don't we pray this prayer out loud after me. Say, Dear God, I thank you. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead and ascended into heaven so that I can receive life, forgiveness, grace, and salvation. Right now, I receive it as your free gift into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for the young gentleman that raised his hand. I thank you for every person here that that assurance of grace would live in their hearts and live in their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. Why don't we just all lift our hands right now in the presence of God. Father in heaven, I thank you for this great house. I thank you for the incredible legacy. I thank you for the incredible leaders. Pastor Chris and Ruth, are ah, their faithfulness, their vision, their faith to be in this building and and to see the, and to begin to take next steps into a future that is magnificent for this house. I thank you, Lord, that there be not one lost person in the house, Father. Every lost coin, Father, every disengaged heart, there'll be a re-engagement with great power and passion and gifting, God. And together this house would move together as an army of your presence and your love into this community. I thank you for a new day across this place, across this house, Father. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a huge hand right now. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.